0: Welcome to Storytelling with Data, the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole Nisbommer-Naflik. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D-exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole.
1: Hi, this is Cole. Thanks for tuning in today. So if you've been following, you may be aware that Storytelling with Data is in the exciting space where we are expanding our team. And I have more news to share on that front soon. As a result of that, we have had the hiring process on our minds because we have been living and breathing it for a period of time. It dawned on me that a lot of people go through these processes from the Hiring manager side, from the candidate side. And so we thought that we would share some of what we have learned and are learning as we expand our team. I'm joined today by my better half, Randy Naflik. Now, Randy's usually behind the scenes, uh, producing the podcast, our videos, making sure things run smoothly. Though today will not be the first time you've heard from him. I have a feeling you'll recognize his voice. So Randy, welcome to the Storytelling with Data podcast.
0: No, Cole. Welcome to the Storytelling with... <laughs> I just had to do that. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And I love talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is hiring. I've had a chance to be a part of some really interesting organizations and be a part of the hiring process for a number of years. Hopefully, we can share some tips and tricks today that will be helpful for those interviewing as well, those who are looking to hire.
1: Well, and there's no single way to do things, right?
0: Right. There's not. When we think about the hiring process and what we hope to get out of it, there's a number of things that people don't even think about in terms of how the hiring process can be used for not only identifying great talent for your organization, but creating an amazing experience and creating ambassadors and helping people to understand what you're trying to do from an organizational standpoint.
1: Yeah. And we'll share more insight into all of those things. But before we do, Randy, I think you have probably interviewed and hired more people than anyone else I know. Uh, I know the history there. But for the benefit of those listening, can you tell us a bit about your background?
0: Sure. So I call myself sometimes the accidental HR exec, which means I didn't start out thinking I would go into HR. In fact, I studied music and that was my background. And if at the time someone had said, Randy, you're gonna be the head of HR someday, I probably would have been disappointed in that uh, prediction. But if somebody said, you're gonna be able to help inspire people and drive change and do that all from this position of HR, that would have been more interesting. So I had a chance to grow up in the recruiting side, actually doing where I was helping people uh, find jobs and getting them placed to then uh, probably the more pivotal points in my career when I had a chance to join Google early on as their head of recruiting in the Europe, Middle East, and Africa region based out of Zurich. It was there that I saw the power of really leveraging an organized process for interviewing. I learned the power of truly writing great feedback and how to create amazing candidate experiences. I did that for a number of years. and After that, I joined SpaceX as the head of HR and talent acquisition and also saw a uh, completely different way of hiring that has resulted in in great success. And after SpaceX, I had a chance to join Jawbone, the iconic audio and wearable organization where we were able to use a lot of those lessons learned over the years to grow the company rapidly and do things along that side.
1: And that brings us nearly to current. So you have helped storytelling with data, put in place good processes around interviewing and hiring as well. And actually you recently led the team through interview training. Do you wanna start there or?
0: Yeah, I think interview training is fun because it gives me a chance to share some of these insights around how we can go about making more of the interview process than just that goal of, is this person the right fit for this position? For example, there's an immense opportunity to create people who are ambassadors and enjoy your company. Google, for example, focused on creating an amazing interview experience for people. And we would survey the people who wouldn't get an offer from Google and find out 85% of the people who didn't get an offer for, with Google would have recommended Google and the hiring process to a friend, which is a great testament to creating an amazing experience, being able to convey The talents of your organization and team, your mission, and essentially creating these ambassadors who then become advocates for what you're trying to do.
1: And that doesn't happen by accident, right? That happens by design. Can you talk about some of the ways that you create ambassadors from those candidates who don't go on to get a job?
0: It starts with a position of understanding and compassion and almost empathy. And that means when you're sitting across from someone who's there for the interview there's different approaches to that conversation so traditionally it's this ping pong match of i'm going to serve you a question you're going to hit it back and we're going to have this game and hopefully i get a point over you and that's actually not the best approach in fact if we back up a little bit and we think about what it was like for us to be on the other side of that zoom screen that desk for the interview We can start from a position of almost empathy and wanting to make sure that we're setting this person up for success to have the best possible interview that they possibly can i shared with the team we were having people fly in for the interviews for example so even taking a moment to step back and think about what that person went through the night before did they lay out their outfit did they revisit their resume did they brush up on how they might answer questions did they sleep were they worried they'd oversleep their alarm and so If you're coming into this meeting with somebody in an interview, it's not a natural setting. But if you take a moment to think about what this person might be going through, how they might be feeling, nerves, and then again, ultimately putting yourself back into that position when you've been on the other side, just that framing alone can create a much better experience and can produce a more positive outcome of the interview. And that's what you want if you're getting especially a limited amount of time together.
1: It's funny because we should want to make the interview be where we can get the best lens into someone, their capabilities and their fit. But I think too often interviewers who go into those sorts of conversations are framing it as trying to, I don't know, catch someone or... Um, Put together a scenario that is doomed to fail. So it's this shifting in how we think about, as interviewers, how we think about setting up that time, how we think about setting up our questions. Going back to the interview training, how to formulate questions. And you have this idea of the inverted triangle that you'll often use.
0: Yeah, the inverted triangle serves a a few purposes. And this is a technique for both interviewing. And I think as well as if you are the person being interviewed, you can think about the way that you structure answers and such. But I want to back up before we get into that. I want to talk a little bit more about just the way to think about going into the interview. We talked about this empathetic approach and understanding. And it's amazing how many times I've seen interviewers go into the interview and right off the bat, they start having this question and answer session where they go right into it. It reminds me, when I was interviewing at Google, I went through this whole series of people that I was meeting with, and it was one after the other. And I had this interview, and right away, it was the questions and questions, and I was giving answers, and back and forth, and back and forth. And then, as is standard in the interview at the end, what's the classic last question that you ask, that someone might ask? Do you have any questions for me? Do you have any questions for me? And that was the question I had gotten. My question was, I'm a little embarrassed, but who are you?
1: Oh, they didn't even,
0: <laughs> they never introduced themselves. They never took some time to put things into context and frame it. Yeah. And he laughed and we have a great relationship even still today, but it was just interesting that we're so eager to get into this ping pong match that instead, if we step back and we think about the time that we're going to spend with somebody in a more focused way, and I do it with the musician and me, I like to think about it as almost a musician might, where you have your opening act. And this is where you're just warming up. How are things cold? Did you find the office all right? Or any issues connecting? And yeah, it's a little bit of that small talk, but it helps to just get things eased up and and more relaxed. And then there's the main act. And so this is where I encourage people to have, as most musicians and bands would have, is their set list taped out on the floor. So having those questions prepared and organized, and, and we can talk a little bit about that. And that's where the inverted triangle will come back to. Sure, And then also this idea of an encore and this idea of going back to things and making sure that it's conversational and being able to bring up things that you can make sure the individual had a chance to ask. And if you think about that in managing your time, you'll be much better served than waiting until the last two minutes. Oh, any questions for me? And and then rushing off to the next one. Well, it's funny
1: because as you're describing that and making the analogy to music and it makes me think of story, right? It's you start off, there's the plot. You've got to set the context and give the sense of space and time, right? This is when in your interview anecdote, the person should have taken a little but a time to introduce themselves and how they fit into the bigger picture. Then you've got the middle of the story, right? The meat of the interview, where you're going to get through all the good stuff, but then leaving time for the resolution <laughs> and that ending. Exactly. And
0: then for that main section, I do think there's some best practices that I've seen work, especially when you're doing things at scale. So this idea of being able to capture feedback, clearly Google, for those who follow the way that they hire They have hiring committees who will look at feedback and have to make hiring decisions from that feedback as opposed to, you know, individuals making those hiring decisions. And that practice alone actually forces those who are doing the interviews to write good responses to interview answers and making sure these things are documented in a way that can be interpreted by somebody else to make an objective hiring decision.
1: Well, and that doesn't only work at scale, right? We can talk more about our hiring process here at Storytelling with Data, but I found myself, especially as I was preparing for the final round of interviews, when we have people coming here to Milwaukee or some of these Zoom interviews for our international candidates, there were times when I dug into individuals' feedback from you know their interview notes from prior interviews that folks on the team had had so that I would be able to either better frame my questions or make sure I was digging into something new. Because that was one thing that struck me uh, about the process at Google, which we mirror a lot of that in our process here at Storytelling with Data, but just is the amount of coordination. Because you're going to be, for a given position, you're going to be... Having multiple different people interview potential candidates and to make sure that everybody is assessing something different so that at the end of that process, we don't get a single lens on the candidate. We actually get this really robust picture because of that coordination.
0: Yeah. And Google taught me early on this concept of having these attributes to measure against. And for those who would like to know, Google had these four attributes that were in the categories of. The first one was role-related knowledge, which was let's figure out what evidence we have to show that this particular candidate has the skills needed to do the particular job. And that can come through a number of different ways. It can come through the interviews and the responses to questions. Maybe it comes back in some of the experience that the person has in their resume or things they've done. So we should be able to point to evidence in this first attribute of role-related knowledge. The second attribute was around general cognitive ability a fancy word for what evidence do we have that this person is intelligent, that they're smart, that they can solve problems. And that's an area that many focused on with Google with their puzzles that they did and the different things that they used to try to test people. It was a goal trying to figure out is this person generally smart? And at one point GPA was a a way that we would look to see that, but the data would show us later, for those of us who didn't have the 4.0 GPA, that surprisingly, GPA did not uh, correlate to someone's performance and high success at the company.
1: Uh, But this next one did.
0: The next one did, which had to do with leadership. So leadership, which often gets confused for managing or managing people, which it's not. But leadership was, what can we look at that shows and demonstrate that this person can inspire followership? That they can drive ideas that will... Uh, be debated and discussed and that can rise to the top, or if not, that people can get on board with the ideas that, that they ultimately move forward with. So leadership can come in different ways. We would look at, did you lead a student organization when you were in school? Or how would you debate this particular topic? And so figuring out where leadership fixed was the third attribute. And then the fourth one, we called it Googliness, which was more so around how this individual would fit into the overall organization from a culture standpoint. Now that one's evolved a bit and I steer people away from culture fit as opposed to values fit because we benefit as an organization if we have cultural diversity, these different perspectives, we have different users of our products, we wanna make sure we're represented by these different perspectives, but the values you can't compromise on. So what is the evidence that we see where people are aligned to our mission, what we're trying to do and our values? If we can actually start with assessing candidates with these attributes, it drives how we're going to, as you said, structure the interview. Who's going to focus on what? Where are we going to target things? How do I p- position a question that's going to extract that? And we can actually get to the real meat of the interviewing, which is how do we construct questions that are going to go about testing and getting evidence for these different attributes?
1: And You mentioned it earlier, but let's go back now to that inverted triangle, right? Now thinking about these different dimensions, whether it's general cognitive ability or this role-related knowledge, how do you take that pyramid principle and or the inverted triangle and come up with your question or your series of questions that are going to adequately test the thing that you're trying to test?
0: Yeah, if I was interviewing, for example, a recruiter, somebody who has to find talent in the marketplace. And your goal as a recruiter is to use different methodologies to search and find people who meet the profile to ultimately hire them. And there's techniques to do that. And let's say a question that I have trying to test that role related knowledge is, how would you go about finding this type of technology or expertise in a search engine using Boolean logic or on LinkedIn, how would you go about finding that? That might be my pointed question where I feel like if this person can tell me this, I'm gonna be in a great position to understand if they fit this for the role related knowledge. But what we're doing by going right to the point, now think of that as that point of the inverted triangle. If we're going right for that, we've actually missed that whole journey that starts at the top more broadly where we can be getting additional information additional insights additional context and better understand the candidate so in a situation like that i like to find ways in which i could keep it very broad to begin with so for example you know cole what roles did you like hiring for in your previous company what were some of the positions you enjoyed working on this might seem like a easier question but it's very broad and it lets the conversation start to unfold where i can then get to the next level of conversation.
1: Well, it's nice to start with something easy or something that the person is going to feel comfortable talking about because then that gets them comfortable talking. Yeah,
0: it's not that, you're not going right for the, how would you come up with an algorithm to solve this problem? You're like, going right for that will take us nowhere. So from that question, we can move towards, all right, let's do a little uh, role play. Imagine I'm a hiring manager who's looking to hire this particular technical skills how would you qualify that role or work with me on that? Let's just do a little role play, let's talk through it. Okay, now we've gotten a little more detailed on that. And now I would say to the recruiter, you're going to go to the market or you're gonna go to LinkedIn or Google and do some searching. So talk to me about how you organize a strategy for doing that and managing your time. And then ultimately I could come with this pointed question of, all right, let me see what Boolean logic you come up to identify this sort of technology. So I've taken this triangle of starting broad and getting Focused down to one question that's focused on the attribute of role related knowledge. And I've gotten so much more insight on that. And now there's another part to it that comes back to that candidate experience part, where if we're truly trying to help people understand our mission and what we're doing, and leave with that goal of having 90% of the people who interviewed want to recommend us to a friend. Then we have a chance to actually sprinkle in some really interesting insights into the way in which we ask questions to both educate and inspire these candidates who are going through the process so let me give you an example of that in that question around what type of roles do you like to hire for if we think about something about our company that's unique or interesting and we just intro that question with an opening line along that it could be very interesting for example i could say cole Here at Storytelling with Data, we're looking at a large number of different roles because our growth is really incredible. And we want to be able to go to market and win in all these new opportunities. I'm curious for you, what were some of those really interesting roles you had a chance to work on?
1: Yeah. And that's so nice because it gives you this ability to share some specific context and insight about the company as well. And so this, I think that for me in thinking about how to structure questions, particularly in this latest round, was super useful. Starting first with, what is this thing I'm going to ask about? You know, How can I use it to share something about storytelling with data that's going to give people a little bit of a lens? But then how do I now turn that around? Start broad, get more specific in ways that are going to give me insight, not only into how this person is going to answer the questions, but also their logic and the way that they think about solving different types of problems. And actually along those lines and drawing back on this role-related knowledge piece, one thing that I, I did as a hiring manager at Google and that we've done consistently here when hiring at Storytelling with Data is just the more you can give a candidate a sense of what the job is going to be right the gives the the hiring manager and the team a lens at how people do their work and for the candidate it gives them a taste of you know what is the actual day to day potentially going to look like and so at Google, I would use a case study when I was hiring analysts into the people analytics team, or here we use some of our normal stuff to get that lens. So just as part of this recent process, after a certain point in the interview process, because we had it spread out where people were interviewing with various different people on the team. But at one point we asked them to do an exercise Mm -hmm. in the storytelling with data community. And we'd get a couple of lenses from that. One would be understanding what they chose why they chose to do this one, but then also to be able to see how they approached a specific problem or challenge in the data visualization world. And that becomes something that you can talk about in the interviewing process as well.
0: The more you can do to recreate the situation, the better. In fact, I, as part of what I do now is I advise founders and heads of HR on the topics of people and strategy, and I had a conversation just a few weeks ago where They had a candidate that they were in the final stages for. It was a head of HR, and the company was about to go through some pretty dramatic changes where they're going to have to be going to the organization and undoing some of the things that they had done in the past. And as you could imagine, if you give, let's say, a benefit or a perk, and now you're going to be reeling that back in because you no longer can do that, that's difficult. And not only is it a difficult thing for an organization to go through, but it's difficult to be that messenger who has to bring that to the organization. And so this particular CEO had said, we think this candidate would be great, but we're just not sure if this is someone who will have that gravitas to be in front and be able to be compassionate about the change, but also get us to move forward. And it felt like this was a risk in making this hire without that. And my response was to figure out however you can to create the most realistic situation of doing this. And there's many
1: ways, there's no- As part of the interview process. As
0: part of the interview process. And there's no limit to what it has to be. It doesn't have to be, an interview is not just as you just shared, like part of the interview process is do an exercise. Let's see your tone, let's see your approach, let's see your thought process. That's a great way to get firsthand understanding of someone. So in this case, my recommendation to the CEO was, let's bring this candidate in in front of the executive team. Let's prep the executive team and we'll say, we are bringing in a final candidate and we want to give them a problem to present to us as a change that has to happen. And let's see what it feels like. Let's see it firsthand. Now, is it a real world situation? No, but it's pretty darn close. I mean, candidate interviewing isn't natural as it is. So what we agreed on is we went with the idea of Telling the candidate the evening before that one of the next steps for the next day's interview was going to be to deliver some change news to the executive team in whatever way they felt would make sense. And, we and sim-
1: were, you, were you specific then on what the issue was? Yeah, yeah. The, okay.
0: the issue was we just chose one like, let's say there's an open vacation policy, one where you don't track, but now suddenly you're going to have to flip to tracked vacation. That's a big change. So we want you to now share this news with the executive team as the change that needs to take place and see how it happens. And so using this, you can go into the situation to actually see how somebody interacts and, and responds. And that will give you far more data and evidence to make a hiring decision, then tell me about your strengths.
1: Right. Or tell me about a time when, which can be useful, but going back on the value fit that you talked about before, what a great way to get a lens into that because different people will approach that very differently, I imagine. And so then you get to see you know, who's speaking in the sort of words that are, you know, addressing our employees in the right way or addressing the execs in the right way. And yeah, who's going to fit and be able to help hit the ground running in that space.
0: There is a part to that that I think is important to call out. One of the things that Google did in the interview process was, especially for engineering talent, is a lot of whiteboarding. All right. Go to the whiteboard. All right. How would you implement this? Let's see your thought process, how you work that out. And that was great because, as you said, the more you can do to see what it would be like to work with somebody, and as you and I both remember, a lot of whiteboarding happens at Google. And so you want to see how somebody interacts in that way. But one of the things we found was that, for example, with our engineering population, we were getting feedback that women engineers didn't necessarily want to go to the whiteboard in in a way that it was a way that they felt they could do their best work for explaining how they would go about answering a particular question. And so now you have a bit of a dilemma. Do you have somebody who says, this isn't my best way of conveying my ideas and response, as opposed to, I like to sit down across from you on paper, push things back and forth. Uh. And so one of the things that we looked at was, if the spirit was, how do we make sure that this person can do their best possible work? We looked for ways in which we could modify the hiring process, not lowering or changing any bars per se, but instead how do we find a way that we can do the interview process to make sure that this person can do their best work? And we found out that we gave candidates ultimately the option. Would you prefer to go to the whiteboard and explain this, or do you want to write this on paper here? And we found that gave us better data and allowed people to do better work as part of the interview process.
1: Yeah. And I think, so I think along these lines of providing choice, it gives you like you said, the ability to see someone do their best, it gives them, um, I don't know what the right way to say it, but just to feel like they're not in a subordinate position the entire time, right, it gives them some power in the process that I think can be useful, right? A, a small way that we did that in the recent process that we went through at Storytelling with Data is I, I wanted to see a sample of people's writing. It's important to me the attention to detail that people use in their writing because I feel that that... Uh, is insight into the same sort of attention to detail they'll pay in their speech. And we do a lot of writing at Storytelling with Data. But rather than dictate exactly what it was, we left that open. So write a blog post or conduct a challenge, draft a challenge. And so you give people leeway to be able to identify something that they're going to be passionate about uh, that lets you judge the fit in terms of the topic and the framing and see that writing style in this case as well. Yeah. And
0: that's good because I think having that flexibility will give you far more insights than you would otherwise in being constrained. And I think the same actually goes true for if you're a candidate interviewing and there's a question that's presented, instead of forcing that answer in that way, I think you should also employ some flexibility to talk about, well, that's interesting, but let me tell you of a time that's similar where I did that and get into that aspect of making sure that you're solving the overarching goal that there, and you've had a couple Uh, ways of doing it, both when you're even in podcasts, for example, when you're doing an interview of not necessarily redirecting the question, but being able to capture the theme of that.
1: Well, and and there is some of that, right? Because as a candidate, it can be for sure useful ahead of time. I mean, we even did this for this podcast, right? Anytime you're going to be speaking to someone and the stakes are high or other people will be listening or whatever the case is, to take some time to gather your thoughts in terms of how do you want to represent yourself? How do you want to come across to the person on the other side of the table or the Zoom call from you? What stories or anecdotes or pieces of evidence do you want to be able to use to bring some of those things to light? And so you can absolutely do that in an interview setting as well. You just want to make sure that you are still answering the the question that's being posed, and it's not feeling shifty in terms of that. But I think if someone asks a question that's tangentially related to something you wanted to make sure you brought up, you can do that. Just then come back around to say interviewer, did that get you what you were looking for? Is there more I can say? And asking questions to make sure that you understand the question that's being posed or or maybe the intent or context around that can be helpful as well.
0: Yeah, that was one of the big shifts for me going from the U.S. to Switzerland, for example, and interviewing international candidates is there was definitely more openness to conversational type interviews when I was in the U.S., asking questions, going back and forth. And sometimes I would have to set it up that like I want this to be more conversational. When I move to Europe, there'd be these long pauses. I found that if I prep at the opening of the interview and talked about my style for interviewing and that I wanted this to be conversational and so I'm not going to save time at the end for questions because I wanna just make sure we can continue to keep the dialogue going. Again, giving them the best chance to do their best interview there are some aspects of it, I think, or even regionally that you have to be sensitive to and aware of that can help to ensure success with the interview. I wanted to go back to the structure of the interview because I want to make sure we're leaving folks with some good tips. And so we talked about this concept of the attributes to assess against, and we talked about framing questions and introducing elements of how do you convey what's happening in your organization as part of the question. I want to give some sort of caveats, which are I've seen organizations or individuals try to measure in a single interview all of those attributes at once. And it feels very disconnected and disjointed. And so my advice, if you are going to try to assess against these attributes, is actually to focus on a couple attributes. Don't two at most, right? I would say two at most. And if you can be orchestrated and organized in the way you as a team, then it's actually even better if you divide and conquer and talk about... You're gonna focus on the leadership component. Uh, You're gonna focus on role-related knowledge. And I think in that way, you tend to have a more balanced and you don't have people asking the same questions. And it just avoids awkward situations and gives you far more insight. And I also think if you are going to craft uh, these questions in a way that you're going to use, there there is some benefit to actually using the same type of question consistently. So if you're focusing on leadership, And you wanted to have them share a time that they were able to inspire some followership.
1: Well, and I'll take this a step further because the the interviewing process being so fresh on my mind, it is most helpful when you use the exact same question when you're trying to assess something across multiple candidates. Because I would find in some cases where, oh, you know, I didn't ask this one question to this one person. That would have been helpful to know, right, As, as I'm reflecting back afterwards. So not only in assessing the same attribute, but really using the same preamble the same question across multiple people because then you get that apples to apples comparison that can be so useful
0: and you also avoid biases so if you have a, a, a question that you've worked through and that you know we're at storytelling with data huge advocates of getting feedback so this is a question that you've tested with some others gotten feedback is could this be misinterpreted do you understand where i'm going with this you avoid altering your questions based on who might be sitting across from you so having that i also think writing these things out And the whole nature of what happens with how you document things. And this might be a little touchy. I don't know if we want to go there. Well,
1: let me pose a question to you that I know the answer to, which is your view on taking notes on a laptop versus writing things out as the interviewer. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little
0: old school. I feel like humans have evolved with the rock and the chisel to the paper and the pen. And just recently in the grand scheme, we've gotten to laptops and phones. And for me, I think there's a benefit in writing because what happens when we write and we try to capture notes from a conversation, we're doing just that. We're capturing key components. We're capturing elements that we wanna make when sure- you're we, When you're physically writing with pen and paper. you're physically writing with pen and paper, you are capturing these core things that are gonna be helpful for you in remembering and repurposing this. Now, again, probably many people might disagree, but when you're sitting there, there's a few things that happen with having a laptop in an interview especially in person, maybe it's a little more easier on Zoom these days. But when you're sitting with a laptop, you've, you've first of all created a bit of this barrier. You have this little screen in front of you, you're behind this keyboard, you might be doing your Amazon shopping or you might be looking at your notes and typing up. So that's the first thing is it creates an unnatural setting versus even just having a legal pad on your, your, your knee and your writing, there's an openness to it that I think is important. The second thing is that if you ever notice the notes that you take when you're talking to somebody that are written versus typed on your laptop, one is a transcript. And I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed your notes that you're taking when you're talking to someone that are written on a laptop versus uh, handwritten on a piece of paper? And what you'll find is that the laptop tends to be this transcript. And I don't know about you, but I don't like reading through like a court deposition, because you don't capture all of the points. And often it's not as coherent as you think it is as you're typing that versus really pulling away those salient points that you write down on physical paper with a physical pen. And and that's why I'm a fan of not only from a openness of creating better dialogue, but then also this concept of getting better notes, but write out your questions in advance for sure.
1: I find that I'm a more active listener when I'm taking notes by hand versus Mm -hmm. typing as well, right? Because if you're really trying to do that transcript, which it's too easy to do when you've got a keyboard in front of you, then you are, you're processing maybe the words, but not listening in that same attentive way that will then allow you to come up with good follow-up questions to be able to, to have a really productive conversation. Exactly.
0: So we talked a little bit about just the physical nature of how to capture those. I'm a big advocate of making sure those questions continue to be iterated on and reworked and got feedback to feel comfortable with them. And if they're questions that are tied directly to these attributes, you can actually start to create a bank of different questions that can be shared with the team. So You could imagine creating a Google Doc or some other shared platform where you're sharing all the types of questions that have worked well for assessing leadership, for example. And that just makes for a much more efficient interview process.
1: Or you think about onboarding a new manager who's going to be hiring to have those sorts of things available as resources can be very useful. Exactly. On a totally different topic, but related to this, what's your view on the role that a resume plays in the hiring process? Oh, the resume. Some companies have moved away from looking at resumes altogether. Yeah, I'm not ai
0: f- let me put it this way. I feel like people put far too much time into resumes and making sure they're perfect in every word and positioning and all of that. And it's all this heads down time on this piece of paper or this document when if we would put half the amount of time into the resume and the other half of that amount of time on expanding your network and creating connections at the type of organizations where you'd like to work and really finding a way to connect with people in a way in which you can ultimately say, I'm interested in a role at your company. I'm wondering if there might be a chance for me to get considered for a role. So I think resumes are good in terms of capturing what you've done. I've seen my full share, especially during Google's most intense hiring days where you would get these unique Things sent to you in the mail of somebody wanting to get there, you know, a shoe with a resume in it because I wanted to get my foot in the door. Oh,
1: goodness. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And some listeners might say, well, look, Randy, you actually remember that one who sent the. Yeah, but did they get
1: hired? No, they didn't get hired.
0: (laughs) But the point is, is that resumes are good to make sure you're capturing accurately the things that you've been doing. LinkedIn has actually replaced in many ways the resume. So Mm -hmm. there are many times in which no one is asking for a resume, they're just simply taking your LinkedIn profile and using that. So I do think there's value in making sure the work you're doing is represented and, and clear. And that there's a story in what you're presenting. with. Well, and I don't
1: want it to be taken because you you had started this part off by saying people spend an inordinate amount of time on their resumes, but attention to detail there is still important.
0: Absolutely. If this is your document that is going to represent you and there's numerous typos and things just don't look right, that's, that's not going to work with the recruiters, especially at these organizations that have high volume applicants, you're getting literally seconds with a recruiter who's looking at that. And it is mostly still humans looking at these uh, documents as opposed to an algorithm that's assessing and filtering people in and out. But make sure it's clear, simple, concise, not overstated, not necessarily understated, but spend time on where are the places you want to be aligned? Who are the people doing the type of role that you, you eventually see yourself doing? And build those bridges and make connections and get back to actually having that personal connection with people
1: what about from the hiring manager side what roles should a resume play in their decision making process
0: that's hard for me because most of the times when hiring managers are in the hiring process the candidates coming to them have already been vetted so it wouldn't be unusual if you were a hiring manager not even looking at a resume it can be a great point of conversation and maybe directing some of your questions but In most organizations where there is a layer of filtering or a round of people assessing who should move forward in the process, but it feels a little bit antiquated when the hiring manager with their feet up on the desk with your resume in hand and saying, tell me about this time. That that feels lazy to me. It feels like we could do more about figuring out how do we represent our company? What are some of the challenges here? Really getting a sense for what is it going to be like for this person to be alongside me or on my team? tackling this hill, solving this problem, fighting this fight and construct your interview to extract that will be far more valuable than walk me through your resume. Again, these are, if, if we should put together our list of the top 10 worst questions you could ask in an interview, and it would start with, tell me about your strengths. Tell me about your weaknesses. Uh, walk me through your resume. Like these are all just lazy interviews. And I think it doesn't represent your organization well. And if that's how you're well, and you're
1: not going to get the information you want no. out of that, right? No.
0: People have rehearsed those, all of those. I mean, again, asking about your weaknesses as opposed to talk to me about the last thing that blew up for you and what went wrong. And then really, again, if you use that inverted triangle, that's that's the broad part of the question. Right. Guess how much more narrowed you can get as you start to ask and explore and uncover and use that as a process. So I know this might sound like a lot. and Yes. In an interview, you may only get to one or two questions
1: and that's okay. Well, I know for me, that was an adjustment of rather than going in with a massive list of questions to make sure that we'd be able to fill the time of really thoughtfully crafting the questions so that I know what I'm after when I'm asking them. And it's not just one question, it's this like bucket of questions that all build on each other or get more specific if we think about your inverted triangle, that when it's done well and when you're getting what you need to out of the conversation, and again, I think this is both from the standpoint of the interviewer as well as the candidate, you really can only get to a couple of questions. Yeah, yeah. And so being sure that you are crafting them thoughtfully, and this is where that coordination becomes so important because you know, if I know I'm assessing a candidate against one of the attributes, that I don't feel like I'm missing things. I feel like I can go deep because I know others on the team are assessing them across these other attributes. And then it's really as all of that comes together and the feedback and grading is something that we didn't, touch upon. I don't know if we want to go there or not. I think before
0: we go there, if we go there, is that you had covered a lot of key areas, but it comes back to this main concept of making sure you know what your philosophy is on the recruiting process and on hiring. Like what is our philosophy when it comes to hiring? And if that is this idea of clearly a simple statement can be, we want to find the best talent for storytelling with data. Or it could be, we want to make sure people understand what our mission is, and we want to inspire through our process of hiring, and we hope to bring people on board as part of that. So establishing this philosophy first can help dictate the way in which you want to create different candidate experiences. And I think back to even Jawbone, where we wanted to really make this rich candidate experience, and we talked a lot about how do you create empathy, and how do you make sure that people can feel understood in their interview and that they're having a chance to do their best work. We did other things. For example, we found that in between interviews, candidates were sitting in these rooms where they were waiting for the next interviewee to come in and interview them. And while they're sitting there, it seemed like such a wasted opportunity. And so one thing that we did is we designed these little tabletop boxes that on the box, had a number of things as you turn the box around. So on one side, it was a little bit of the history of Jawbone, how it got started and what we were doing. Another side was who does well at Jawbone, and it talked about some of the qualities and the characteristics and people's entrepreneurial spirit that was held within the company. And so the candidate, while they were waiting in between there, we didn't want them just sitting there. So we wanted to educate them. And then there was this other side benefit that happened as a result of it, which was we would see through the glass window, somebody sitting in there, anybody who's sitting there turning this box in their hand was clearly a candidate. And it was remarkable to watch as somebody might be having a bad day, they're like, oh, it's a candidate. I'm I'm walking by a little bit happier. Uh, put
1: on their game face. Put on their
0: game face. Welcome. They wave. Or we would even have where people would pop in and say, everything going all right today? Have you been waiting long? Can I get you anything? Do you need a restroom break? Do you need some coffee? That's all creating an amazing candidate experience that came out of this philosophy of we wanted everybody who walked out of Jawbone to leave there saying, wow, that's an amazing company with caring people who are trying to do and build amazing products. And you can do that no matter what your organization is very easily.
1: I wanna go back to a topic that you mentioned in passing earlier, but feedback. The feedback that an interviewer writes after an interview. Can you talk a little bit about what role that plays and how to approach it and why?
0: Yeah, I think if there's this mindset that you have as somebody who is interviewing someone else that whatever I write up as a conclusion or responses to different answers to the different questions, is something that I could share with someone else, and even in so much as sharing with the candidate, that I can stand behind that. And so therefore I'm being fair, I'm being objective, I'm talking about the areas somebody like may have done well in an answer and maybe some of the areas that they struggled. But if you're writing up interview feedback or a conclusion on a particular candidate that's written in a way that others could look at that objectively, had nothing to do with the role and say, This person looks like they did well in this particular interview or they missed in this particular area. I think that's the right way to do it and to feel that you could stand behind it in a way in which you could share it with the candidate. Now, there are different rules in different regions. There's some countries where you as a candidate can request to get all of the interview feedback about you, which some would be like, what, you can do that? And I think operating under that idea that anything that you write could and should be shared in in a way will help you to focus on the specifics that are specific to identifying this person's a good fit for the role like your assessment what are the indications that they can do well in this role and what are the areas that you have concerns and writing and being thoughtful about that is important and so just coming back to like really practical tips not only having those questions written out so I'll just share my best practices I have a Google Doc and at the top is the candidate's name. And then I have the questions that I pull over that I know I'm going to ask the two or three or four questions. And I'll put maybe a few more than I would just in case we some questions don't make sense or we have to pivot. And then right below that, I have conclusion. And then the rest of the page is blank. And I usually bring another blank page with it because as we talked about writing via hand versus on a... And I will take notes and go through the questions. And I will then at the end of it... Summarize a conclusion that is supported by the facts or the observations that I had in the other pieces. But I think adopting this idea of being open will help you to stay consistent with assessing people fairly, and really sticking to like where somebody, you know, did well in an answer and where
1: they may have missed. And the way that we use the feedback in our process at Storytelling with Data, so every interviewer was writing feedback after their sessions, but they weren't necessarily sharing it the whole way through.
0: And I think that's a good practice. Some would debate on this. So uh, those who might be in large organizations may recall back to interviews they did where they're up next for the interview and the previous interviewer is coming out and then there's the little conversation that takes place. And I worry about that and I often advise companies to not do that because It kind of introduces bias. It absolutely introduces bias. So you could imagine, all right, Cole, you're up next. Good luck with this one. That's just going to set the wrong tone and it moves you away from being objective and getting different perspectives on a particular candidate. So I think there's nothing wrong with saying, here are the areas I focused on. I talked about A, B, and C. And also saying, you may want to dig into D and E because I didn't get a chance to, but I think there might be some benefit to digging into there. I think that's great. It feels coordinated but it doesn't introduce bias. And so if you are getting feedback, <laughs> we're funny that way, because we really try to, don't tell me, don't give me any feedback, let right. me let me assess. We're right. really specific of keeping this, almost like this wall of information so that you can truly assess objectively.
1: So well, that, and letting each individual assess on their own, but then coming together to exactly. have a good conversation.
0: Yeah, Google's model with the hiring committees, I thought was fantastic because we had multiple committees where people who were not involved in the interview themselves. So people in similar roles and some more senior roles would look at that interview feedback for each candidate and then make a consensus as a group. And from there, the consensus from that group would go up to the headquarter group where there would be another group that would look at their feedback and recommendations. And then ultimately it
1: But that's like crazy intense. I'm looking at you thinking of our world. uh, We're too small for a hiring committee in that way. Or how would you respond to that?
0: Well, first, I would say Google's clearly an example of being able to hire at scale with a process that was super thorough, very consistent and uh, repeatable. And we would create these committees all over the world. And and we did. And I think you don't have to go to that extreme if you're a small organization. And we didn't either. But certainly coming together as a smaller team and discussing openly, and setting some framework for it around, there's not one view that's going to trump it. And clearly, different personalities may dominate, but your job as the leader is to help make sure you're collecting all the information, looking at it objectively, and then ultimately making the best hiring or no hiring decision from that.
1: All right. Are there any topics we missed?
0: I think we covered a lot of hopefully helpful hints, both from a hiring manager standpoint and candidate, but companies are going to be swinging back to some significant growth. Most all the companies that I'm helping are growing aggressively. And so this is an important skill. And I will emphasize like the musician to me, it's the 10,000 hours to become an expert violinist. Like it's the 10,000 hours of interviewing as well to help you get to that place. So get feedback, continue to practice. It's, it's no different than, Growing as a data viz expert, it's you want to continue to hone your skills and practice and not be frustrated right out of the gate because you feel like you're not great at it. It is a learned skill. You learn from listening to others. You learn from getting feedback. And so this is a skill that will serve you so well for the rest of your career.
1: And for the person who is preparing for an interview tomorrow, what practical piece of advice would you leave them with today?
0: I would say think of... Story. And I would say, think of skills and areas of expertise and find ways to bridge the two together. So if you find that it's one thing to say, I'm highly organized and efficient and I'm able to multitask and get things done without dropping a ball, that's a great, quippy response. But what's more powerful is to impart the story behind it, which is, I'm very organized and I can remember back to. Uh, this organization I was with where there were so many different parts and I saw it as an opportunity to jump in and I put in this process and I did that. And so I think a very simple exercise you can do if you have that interview tomorrow is on the one page of your, uh, of a sheet of paper, write all those qualities and skills that really separate you from everyone else. And then right across from them, share some of the stories that are helpful to make sure those are remembered and conveyed.
1: What about for the person who's prepping to be the interviewer tomorrow? What should they make sure they do between now and that interview time?
0: Hopefully we've shared a few tips that will be relevant for that interview tomorrow. But I think the most important thing would be to really think about the structure of the time that you're going to spend with the candidate. I think write if you need to in, in letters somewhere, compassion or empathy, or really find ways to connect and break down Any of that concept of a ping pong match and instead this is another person that we're going to see if this is someone that i could work with and then be very diligent about what are you trying to measure in this conversation what are the attributes you're looking at assessing against and then looking at those questions what are the questions that you plan to ask and do you feel that these are going to help you to extract that and perhaps get feedback on those questions as well
1: awesome Great tips. I hope those listening have enjoyed hearing a little bit more about the hiring process and the art of the interview. Randy, thanks so much for sitting down with me today in front of the microphone.
0: (laughs) Thank you. It was great. I'm always happy to share that and I'm excited what we're soon going to share about storytelling with data's growth.
1: Awesome. So with that, for those listening, be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Also check out our newly revived YouTube channel where we're posting regular video content. And of course, explore all the great resources at storytellingwithdata.com. Thanks for listening.